Hello, and welcome to Clashy, a podcast where we discuss the classy and the trashy. Today we will be discussing Romeo and Juliet, and unfortunately, Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> that is a biased opinion. The best cartoon ever! <laughs> Both alike in dignity. In our podcast, we lay our scene from ancient story to gnomes, where civil blood doth make civil porcelain unclean. Garbage. (laughs) (laughs) This is Andrea, and a classy fact about me is I just got a faculty position at an academic library. Congrats! Congrats. So proud of you. Yes, and uh, thank you. A trashy fact about me is that I do this thing whenever I have a desk job that I have a spoon <laughs> that I bring for food and I don't wash it often. <laughs> yeah, I leave it in my drawer and I wash it sometimes, but not enough for sure. Oh, all right. I that is a mysterious amount of time that's making me uncomfortable <laughs> with its lack of specificity. But like, I mean, I rinse it with water every time, but I definitely don't wash it. <laughs> Listeners, if you could just see the proud expression on Andrea's face as she made that comment, <laughs> grabbed her drink, leaned back, not breaking eye contact, and took a sip. That was a power move, and now I'm wondering if that straw's ever been washed. It has, but I don't know. It may join the ranks. I don't know. <laughs> well, good to know. Hi, I'm Sarah. A uh, classic thing about me is that I got to see a Shakespeare play. Uh, I think it was Antony and Cleopatra at the Globe Theater, which is, you know, that old Shakespeare theater in London, which is pretty fun. It was so hot, though. They're like, everything's the same in Shakespeare's time, except we have to have fire fire alarms and sprinklers. And man, there was no ventilation, you guys. It was an authentic, exciting, very sweaty experience. It was really fun, though. And let's see. Okay, a trashy thing about me. Uh, in other times traveling, I have definitely gotten food out of dumpsters before and eaten it because it's cheaper than buying things. I'm sorry! Oh, you gave me crap about the spoon. You actually gave me crap about my rinsed spoon. And you have eaten trash. Am I right? I thought you'd respect this. I mean, I would normally if you weren't a hippogriff, which is what I call hypocrites. <laughs> Well, there's this one time where me and my friends, were, we went into a bakery and we're like, oh, whoa, this is way too expensive for us. And then we walked out and saw that uh, someone, an employee was bringing out like a bag of pastries that they were throwing away for some reason. And they tossed it into the alley and we just went over and rummaged through it and like stuffed bread loaves under our arms and filled up our pockets with cinnamon rolls and stuff. And listen, we ate off of that for several days. I am sure. I, <laughs> I regret nothing, but it is literally trashy. I can't believe that one just surfaced. I think she had to make sure she established the friendship before she brought that one up. Yeah. 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 That's not one of my first date stories. (laughs) 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 Although maybe it should be. Maybe it would attract the right kind of people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Be authentic from the beginning, man. Yeah. (laughs) My name is Chandra, and I am going to copy Sarah a little bit on her classy facts because it was really good and appropriate. Um, I saw a Royal Shakespeare Company production of King Lear in Stratford-upon-Avon when I went to go see it. 
And honestly, it took till I saw it live to really appreciate that play, to be yeah, honest. I didn't like it. And then I was like, I saw it in live and it was like real rain coming down on that one important moment that I can't remember. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is so great. That's awesome. Today, my trashy fact is that one time I only had my wireless headphones on with me and they died. And instead of going home on a 40 minute bus ride without any music, I got a lift. <laughs> and but it was i was in the lift with this guy and he was playing like 80s music and it was great and we had a really great conversation about it and now that man is your husband (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) well it would be if you were juliet because you'd be like you know what we had a connection that's right definitely betray everything we've ever known and or murder ourselves and or (laughs) i found a paragraph on shakespeare.org can I just read it? Because I'm too lazy. Is it in iambic pentameter? <laughs> I don't think. No, it's then not. no. But it's like four sentences. An age-old vendetta between two powerful families erupts into bloodshed. A group of masked Montagues risk further conflict by gate-crashing a Capulet party. A young, lovesick Romeo Montague falls instantly in love with Juliet Capulet, who is due to marry her father's choice, Paris. With the help of Juliet's nurse, the women arrange for the couple to marry the next day, but Romeo's attempt to halt a street fight leads to the death of Juliet's own cousin Tybalt, for which Romeo is banished. In a desperate attempt to be reunited with Romeo, Juliet follows Friar's plot to fake her own death. The message fails to reach Romeo, and believing Ugh. Juliet is dead, he takes his life in her tomb. Juliet wakes up to find Romeo's corpse beside her and kills herself. The grieving family agrees to end their feud. Andrea's going to spend the most of the time talking about this one because I just get angry about it and sure, have a sure. whole bunch of ace confusion. Yep. So. Well, I feel like it's important to address right off the bat, this is a wonderful tragedy, and it is unfortunately misrepresented ad nauseum as a romance, which it is not that. It is not a romance, and it yes. is often cited as a romance. I'm looking at you, Taylor Swift. In that one song yeah. where you talk about being Romeo and Juliet, I'm like, so do y'all die? Is that how this song ends? Because that's how Romeo and Juliet ends. Wasn't that and during it's... her country phase? I wouldn't be surprised, though. Most Half of the country song, someone dies. Is that love story? Yes, and you know what Romeo and Juliet is not? A love story. <laughs> it's a goddamn tragedy. Yeah. yeah. It's an actual tragedy. Marry me, Juliet, you'll never have to be alone. It says it says that you were Romeo, you were throwing pebbles, and my daddy said, stay away from Juliet. I don't think Romeo ever throws pebbles. This is inaccurate, Taylor <laughs> yes, Swift. Yes, that's the issue that I have. <laughs> Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. That I guess that does happen. Sure. I just feel like she read like the first half of the reading assignment and wrote this song. <laughs> She's like talking, Romeo, take me alone, where we can be alone. You'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. This is like what Michael Scott said. Holly and I are like Romeo and Juliet and this office is like the dragon that kept them apart. Oh, I'm like, no. <laughs> Taylor Swift and Michael Scott are the same person. In conclusion. <laughs> In conclusion. And then she calls herself the Scarlet Letter. What? Yep. Different, different story. Yeah. She says, because... Because you were Romeo, I was the Scarlet Letter. Yeah, she genuinely was like, I'm in high school, what's on our syllabus this year? Okay, great, I've got a great idea for us. <laughs> I was going to say, that's basically freshman year, right? Because those are all freshman readings. Yeah, Taylor Swift was not paying attention in class. I'm surprised she's not like, you were Willie Loman, I was the Diamonds in the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> And not, okay, but my whole point of this is not to bag on Taylor Swift. She is one of dozens of cultural references to Romeo and Juliet that are like, oh yeah, it's just, we're in love, just like Romeo and Juliet. And I'm like, but that's bad though. (laughs) 
Like, that's not, that didn't turn out great. Spoiler alert, they die. <laughs> What's your guys' experience with Romeo and Juliet? I guess. I think the first time I read it was probably freshman year. Although, I just remember we were in my English teacher's class and we would all sit in like a big circle and take parts reading it. But we mm-hmm. never did, we never did the acting out of it. Like, I mean, I guess. I knew the story before then because everyone has like at least one Disney Channel show has a reenactment of Romeo and Juliet, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I knew this. I've always known the story. I couldn't pinpoint when I knew it. It's such a ubiquitous, it's such a well-known story that it's kind of like with the Christmas Carol where we were like, when was the first time I heard this story? Yeah. Yeah. It's just always been there. Yeah. I actually had a pretty neat first experience with the story i grew up in st louis and they have a really good annual shakespeare in the park like a lot of places do and we started the parents started taking to me that from like a very young age and i think it's probably the first one that i remember going to see and i was young enough that i didn't know the story so the first time i got to see romeo and juliet i was like seeing it as a play which you know it's meant to be seen and I didn't know how it ended. And I remember being shocked by the ending, like just being so horrified. And I remember so distinctly the actress when she takes a dagger and stabs herself. I don't know how they did this with the uh, stage effects, but it made this really sickening crunching sound oh. when she like stabbed herself in the stomach. I just remember being completely rocked by it and just stunned at the end. And I was like, what? You know, like I just I kept thinking at that moment where like, oh, okay, she's going to wake up before he drinks the poison. She's going to wake up. He's not going to die. And then it's just, oh my God. <laughs> I was like a pretty small child. Right. (laughs) That's really cool that you've got to experience that. Yes. And then, of course, like Shannon was saying, from that point on, everyone knows the story of Romeo and Juliet. And it's kind of neat because I got to see it before I knew I was sad. Oh, my God. I was rocked by it. The stage lights came up. was just like, they both died. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was my first experience with it. That's so nice. It's pretty cool. Yay, free arts culture. Keep art with the people. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So my first experience with it was basically identical to Chandra's. It was freshman year. I do remember my teacher was a real douche. (laughs) No. He thought because he watched a lot of John Hughes movies, he was a philosopher. And I'm like, all right. Yikes. So, yeah. He would talk about it. And I distinctly remember him. So he didn't teach it well, obviously. And there was this one spot in the play where I distinctly remember it's actually where the reaction to Juliet's death and he's like so I think Shakespeare got it wrong here and I was just like what did he think was wrong well he thought he's like when people die like people you know go into shock for a minute before they react like that and I'm like true most of the time but I'm like also this is a stage production (laughs) it is the theater That people have to convey emotions in an over-exaggerated way, or else the audience isn't going to get it. Yeah. Somebody starts really wailing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a stage production. Also, I feel like it's a valid uh, possibility that if you come upon the body of your dead child, you would cry out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so he was also making this generalization about how all people deal with grief, and I'm like, alright, I can't. I think just because of him, too, I was like, I mean, it was fine, but I'm not that into Mm -hmm. it. It wasn't until I was in my Shakespeare class in college, and I actually had an excellent teacher talking to me about it who, you know, put it in a bunch of different contexts that I thought, wow, this is a fascinating piece of work. And as are all Shakespeare's. 
I had a professor I really liked in undergrad who offered a class on early modern science in Shakespeare, nice. and it really helps contextualize all of his plays. Because, for instance, Shandor brought up the reigning in King Lear, and that's not just for dramatic purpose. It's an actual belief back then that emotions and the substances within the human body could affect the weather. Oh, amazing. It goes back to like occult knowledge and science during Shakespearean times. So the idea with Romeo and Juliet is, it, yeah, like you said, it's not a love story. It's more of a study in early modern science and how love can be seen as a sickness that people can't really control. Oh. So there's lots of references to, you know, their love being a plague, like Mercutio, Mercutio's, you know, like a plague on both your houses. That's not like a figure of speech. The plague was like rampant then. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say. Yeah, there's so many references to that. And there's this idea in early modern science of sympathies and antipathies. Right. And it all goes back to humoral theory. So lots of people know about this. Your humors are like yellow bile, black bile, mm. blood, and why am I forgetting the last it's one? Phlegm? Oh yeah, phlegm. You're right, it's I knew phlegm. something disgusting. And they're all associated with elements. They're all associated with certain kinds of genders. And depending on what how old you are and what your gender is, your balances should be different. But the goal is always equilibrium, like a balance of those humors. Mm -hmm. And one, one of them's out of order. That's when weird stuff happens. So the idea here is that Romeo and Juliet's family, they're at war with each other. Well, not war, they're enemies. And the like nobody mentions what it is, but basically... It suggests that there's a natural antipathy between the houses and there's a natural sympathy between Romeo and Juliet. And not until they die can those houses even get along because they need to be taken out of the equation. Jeez, that's wild. Um, it is interesting Isn't that, crazy? that you pointed out because like, yeah, at no point do they say why the families hate each other, right? Like it's just those those jerks over there. Yeah. Which I know is, is kind of the point to be like, look at this pointless hatred and look at the tragedy it's brought upon us. I know that's part of it. Well, that's one interpretation, but one interpretation could be like, this is just what the universe dealt us. Jesus. Like we don't have control over this. Like these two are star-crossed lovers. They had to fall in love and they had to die. So our families could find this balance again and get along that's interesting the energy coming from romeo and juliet is so strong it's kind of not healthy right but it's a strong attraction and it's referred to as a disease multiple times right and it could be the idea that like when they were born and again this is inference right this is like academics like inferring things from the text which there's so many different interpretations uh -huh. but there's popular theories that these guys were born and it messed up all the balance in the families and the universe <laughs> in that area and when they died the families could get along again interesting that is really interesting because i've always kind of interpreted it as a commentary as like a needless tragedy essentially yeah which it is but like that's such an interesting spin to put on it oh all because of somebody's having some overactive bile huh <laughs> yeah and this wasn't even like oh some people believe this this was the overall belief of how the world worked and science all of that so it's really fascinating lens to look at it through and that's why i actually love reading romeo and juliet i'm not qualified to talk about this much more but like i would suggest reading this kind of literature because it sheds light on it that makes it interesting and not frustrating mm -hmm. i know that shandra and you have both been like oh my gosh i can't like romeo and juliet what a bunch of dumb teenagers and i'm like yeah but when you look at it through this lens it's really fascinating well, you know what's interesting though is it kind of it's i like it as an intellectual like, I, I think it's interesting, but as a story, I, it kind of makes me hate it because I, I just, this is just a personal 
preferences. I don't really yeah. enjoy stories that rely heavily on destiny and prophecy. And of course, there's exceptions to that. And sometimes if there's like an element of that, it's fine. Same. I'm the same way. Because then like, what's the point? There's no actual protagonist because nothing that they do matters because something was always fated to happen. And to me, that's just so much less interesting. Yeah. And I actually kind of prefer it as a like, yes, it's frustrating to be like, oh, my God, you guys are dumb. Teenagers are making such bad decisions. But it's believable to me. People do crazy things when they're like in the thick of a romance. And yes, this one's exceedingly fast. And there's elements to it that are just infuriating. Like, oh, we'll get to the miscommunication issues. But <laughs> no, absolutely like, I think it's fascinating, but it does make the story worse. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, like, getting this philosophical lesson that I wasn't expecting. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> it is wild how much it affects if you have, like, a good teacher or a good experience. And I feel like, honestly, for me, being forced to read it in high school really puts a damper on a lot of subjects for me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, Scarlet Letter, I... Okay, I have a weird relationship with Scarlet Letter. Well, it's also crappy because Nathaniel Hawthorne is a... Yeah. Well, and also we all know Scarlet Letter best from its representation in that Taylor Swift song. <laughs> yeah. I feel like in high school I was very stubborn and didn't want to like li- read anything that I was supposed to read. So that really oh, put a damper sure. on things. So then I got into college and I was like, actually, these are good stories. Like, they're not great, like, fully, but I can appreciate what they're trying to say. For sure. For yeah. Sure. I just, as you mature. Yes. You know. And mm-hmm. as you're not like, I just have to past this quiz that's asking me what color pantaloons Mercutio is wearing. (laughs) Speaking of which, my god, in the... So I've read the play and seen it, and before this podcast, I watched the 1968 movie, which is word for word of the play, if I'm not mistaken. And that movie opens on a close-up of some jester junk. Like, it is just a dude (laughs) in tights with, like, a fabric triangle over his business. Don't... Even get me oh, I'm started. Oh, you started on... because I had to suffer through this alone. And it, it, it is very present all throughout the entire movie. You know what? Listen, I am not sad that I missed Please that. pause. We will tweet a picture. And what they do is this two-tone thing where the junk holder <laughs> which, what, is... What's the official word for it? Because I'm not going to lie. I have a weird search history on my phone, but I didn't really want to add that to it. I don't. Is it a... I'm not Googling it now. <laughs> me neither. I don't need that. Just put... Crotch I mean, triangle in your phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, thank possibly, you. I can't imagine like anything oval. that that would bring up that you didn't want to see. So it's like half one color and half another color vertically, right? So like, let's say it's yellow yeah, and red. vertical striped leggings, essentially. And then on the other side, this is on the actual crotch <laughs> hole, like triangle. It's one side's red, one side's I yellow. And then so on deeply. the side that's red, on the side that's red is on top of yellow pants. <laughs> And the side that is yellow is on top of a red side of the pants. Yep. So it creates this contrast that makes you, it <laughs> makes you look at this man's junk. And some of them have, like, no joke, decorative tassels. Like, some of them are tied on yes! with, like, curtain tassels, like, like, some some razzle-dazzle going on up in that business. And I'm like, I am looking at this man's crutch more, what is this, a pride parade? I have seen so much junk. <laughs> That I was not intending to see. Alright, so I found, I have this post on Tumblr that I really thought was funny, and it's Romeo and Mercutio talking from Act 1, and it has, like, the original version, and then it has the now version of what it would be now. So, Sarah and I are going to do a dramatic re- re- uh, re- retelling, and I'm going to be Romeo, and Sarah's going to be Mercutio. Beautiful. Okay, are you ready? Open those curtains. 
<laughs> I dreamt a dream tonight. And so did I. Well, what was yours? That dreamers often lie. <laughs> okay, so that's the original one. And then the, the updated version is this. I had this intense AF dream last night, bro. Oh, so did I. What did you dream, dude? They're full of shit. <laughs> Sarah, iambic pentameter speech comes very naturally to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I like to think it's from my studies. <laughs> very good. I mean, so did anyone else have like lines that stood out to them? I mean, I feel like this young and up and coming Shakespeare fellow has a future as a writer. He does have a way with words. He does indeed. I mean, there are things like basically at one point, Juliet sends her nurse out to get word from Romeo to find out if he still wants to marry her, even though they're from opposing families. And the nurse is basically teasing her. And she's like, oh, I can't answer you. I'm out of breath. Give me a moment to catch my breath. And Juliet says, how art thou out of breath when thou hast breath to say that thou art out of breath? And like, (laughs) on top of being a funny line, this addresses one of the things that I really, that really annoys me in stories and movies, especially that trope of someone being like, I have something really important to tell. You have to listen. Our time is limited. Just, okay, hear me out because there's this really important thing I need to tell you. And then they like get shot through the heart by an arrow or something i'm like why didn't you just say whatever the hell you need to say (laughs) so anyway that line spoke to me that's a real thing yes on a like more serious turn i whenever i think of lines from this play i think of the that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet Mm -hmm. of course because like it makes me really philosophical in that i don't believe it because i think names make things right so like if my name wasn't andrea I would not be who I am, you know? I mean, it definitely shapes a lot of interactions. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Anyway. I get philosophical about that one. That is a fun thing to think about. One of mine that I wrote down was when, I, I can't remember the lines leading up to it, but at some point when they're basically macking on each other at a party, not worried about getting caught apparently, <laughs> they say something about like kissing being a sin and Romeo's like, give me my sin again. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> pretty hot. Oh, read, read the quote. I think Sarah's notes say hot. <laughs> it says, quote, give me my sin again, unquote, hot. <laughs> I remember that scene. That's a good scene. It is a good scene. In the Boslerman one, that's it's well done. Oh, yes. But this brings up another thing, which is, okay, so they fall in love at first sight, which is a whole thing. But like, if you just like take it at face value, they fall in love at first sight. And then this scuffle happens between the two families, which results in a couple of people dying. One of them by Romeo's hand. So he gets banished. So he has to leave Verona. But before doing that, he goes to see Juliet again. And... Dude, they have sex at her parents' house and he just sleeps there till the yeah. next morning when he will literally die if he gets caught. And I know yep. I know that the power of horniness is a driving force. I get <laughs> <Is> it. it? <laughs> for a lot of people, definitely for Romeo and Juliet, it is a driving force. Because they just want to give him that sin again, if you know what I mean. But like, <laughs> you would die. <laughs> at least not i don't know it just seems like the only bad poorly thought out decision that they make in this entire play the (laughs) only bad one one? you're right that's the The only only dumb thing they do their one slip up which on that note do you guys want to address the poor planning and poor execution no pun intended that went into their plan to get married and run away anyone want to take this because Yes, my only thought, like, I have such a hard time with this one, and I know Andrea makes it sound so academic, but I just can't get over the fact that there's no way. Go on. <laughs> I would never, ever, I, I don't even know what I have a problem with, I'm trying to decide if it's the whole dying thing or the whole falling in love thing that was in air quotes. <laughs> 
I'm just, I have a whole problem with this whole play thing. Like, at, play, at face value, this play pisses me off. I get it, because they are so dumb. And when you think about, like, life back then, like, all of their chances for survival are based on their inheritance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's very true. You can't get a job that can support you, Romeo. Yeah, like, they're not thinking long-term here. I guess yeah. my issue is less so, again, falling in love at first sight is not something that I believe in, and they've known each other for a day, maybe two days when they decide to get married, and then, like, a week when they decide that it's worth dying for each other. Well, the, but the thing was they weren't playing... Well, okay. The thing that bothers me, because if I accept their relationship and their frenzied love lust at face value, is not the fact that they decide to run away together, because... To be clear, Juliet's dad's kind of a dick and is, like, forcing her into a marriage that she doesn't want to be in. Oh, so yeah. I would totally run away, He's a too. huge dick. <laughs> Even if I didn't have a guy to run away with. Maybe especially if I didn't have a guy to run away with. Oh! But Sorry, finish your thought, and then I have... But the fact that they're like, okay, here's the deal. You're gonna drink this poison. It's gonna make it look like you're dead. Don't worry, I'm gonna write a letter to the Romeo because letters never go unfound. It's cool. You're gonna lay in a tomb for a couple of days. He's gonna come. There's no way any word's gonna reach him because he's not obsessed with you or anything. There's absolutely no chance for a misunderstanding, so I feel like... And by the way, the person arranging this is a priest that friends with Romeo and Juliet. He's like, I'm not gonna decide to stand guard at your tomb and make sure that Romeo knows what's going on or make sure nobody does anything to your body before he gets there i'm just gonna assume this is gonna work out fine (laughs) and then romeo hears that juliet's dead obviously not understanding what's actually going on poisons himself and then as he's dying she sees that he dies then she stabs herself and it's just there's so many (laughs) moments where you're just like you could have planned this better yeah i don't know i just i really struggle with this whole you are my life now we met yesterday type thing a hundred percent but on a plot level, the miscommunications are what drive me insane. That's fair. And I was thinking about this. This could have easily been a comedy. If Juliet had woken up just in time, mm-hmm. They could have. you could totally recast yeah. this entire uh, story in the light of a comedy, which is kind of funny. Because there are some funny scenes. Well, I think that's what's interesting about it. Because mm-hmm. it kind of, yeah, it starts off as a comedy and you might think like, Sarah watching it as a kid for the first time might have thought she was watching a comedy. Oh yeah, there's some there's some good jokes. Although yeah. I did, one of my other notes was, best friend gets killed and you murder your new wife's cousin. Worst honeymoon ever. <laughs> yeah, it's that's valid. that's when I think you realize, oh, this isn't a fun play. Yeah. Is when uh, Mercutio dies. Yeah. Right. Because before that, I the agree. feuding is all kind of like joking around and like, I mean, they like, they fight, but like, they're like just being tools and like taunting each other and stuff yeah and then you know people start dying which is always a buzzkill (laughs) yeah oh real quick let me throw in my bringing it back to buffy oh yes spoilers for all of buffy um romeo and juliet is one of the most famous early examples of the star-crossed lovers trope i mean that's where the phrase come from right star-crossed lovers yeah what better example of star-crossed lovers than (laughs) buffy and angel she's a vampire slayer He's a vampire. They're deeply in love with each other, but their worlds simply cannot combine. And when they do. (laughs) And when they do. (laughs) Murder. Murder. Yeah, he's all like, Buffy. They try it. It's real tough. Doesn't work out. But I was going to say, at least they both don't die. But they do both die, just on separate occasions and not because of each other. Well, Angel dies because of Buffy. He lost his soul, so she had to kill him. I mean, what are you going to do? And it's not like they stayed dead. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So anyway, that's my bringing it back to Buffy. I will also take a moment to bring it back to Hogwarts here. I would say that this play would have benefited if there were more Slytherins around because everybody lacked so much cunning. It's true. It 
was embarrassing. His decisive laugh. It's like the Friar Lawrence tried to be cunning, but he just kind of goofed it. He's just a puff. He's a he's a total Hufflepuff. I was gonna say that, but I didn't want to be insulting. I can't. I feel like I can't call him a doof and then say he's a Hufflepuff. <laughs> Yeah, Friar Lawrence is great because he, he's like, yeah, you guys should be with who you want to be with. You know, I want to help you. But he's also, his execution's yep. poor. He tried. So, it's true. He had the right idea. It's good and bad. way like, halfway through. I have another question just real quick. And it has to do with the old-timey science kind of that Andrea was talking about. But the friar's like, hey, Juliet, here's exactly what's going to happen when you take this potion. It's going to be as if you're dead. You'll have no pulse. You'll be in a deep sleep. You'll wake up 24 hours later and you'll be totally fine. Total what? fiction. Oh. If that's what your question is. <laughs> that's not my question, but thank you. I thought you were going to be like, did people think that could happen? And I'm like, no, even back then people were like, that's a, that's no, a not no. real. That's thing. a magic potion. No, my question was, when and why has this man used this potion before? Because he's very confident that it'll work exactly that way. Has he, like, tested it out <laughs> on some poor little apprentice before? I have many questions about this man's Props. life. I need to know his backstory. Somebody write that spinoff. Okay, now I'm done. So I really, really need to talk about the aquarium scene and the boss Lerman, Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Get it, girl. I freaking love that scene. It is iconic. The song, the, the ladies singing, them like having a cute moment. As a teenager watching this movie, this is what I thought romance was. I don't, like uh -huh. they can like start a relationship there. Oh, for sure. Super cute. You don't excel it to like where they did. Like they took it too far. But like that scene with yeah. they're like each on one side of the fish tank. They're once on each side. They're looking through the fish. They catch each other's eye and they kind of make goofy hard eyes at each other. But it's super cute and well done. And the song playing in the background, iconic. It's really adorable. It is a very sweet meet cute. I also, in my favorite adaption, there's also a similarly iconic scene with an amazing song. It's called Not One of Us from Lion King 2. He is not <laughs> one of us. It is the best adaption of Romeo and Juliet. Truly. It's so good. It is Lion King 2 colon Simba's pride. Ah. <laughs> that has a double meaning. It does. That's a double it meaning. Does. Oh, so good. That's art. Welcome to Fan Fiction Corner. All right, so just a couple things. I'm going to go on a mini rant. So I'm going to preface this by saying in college, in my Shakespeare class, I did a whole report on Macbeth and how Macbeth is based on some history. But anyway, so I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, what's the history with Romeo and Juliet? Turns out Shakespeare based Romeo and Juliet, according to Wikipedia, on the tragical history of Romeo and Juliet by Arthur Brooke, who published it in 1562. What? Yes. For reference, Shakespeare version was written between 1591 and 1595. So the tragical history of Romeo and Juliet is the English version of the Italian novella written by Matteo Bandello. Interesting. Yeah. So basically what I'm saying here is that Shakespeare wrote fan fiction. <laughs> oh and my god. That's there you that go. on that. Romeo and Juliet is fan fiction. I love that. Yes. So, and then obviously every adaptation of Romeo and Juliet since, you know, 1590, what, five? Has also been a fan fiction on Shakespeare. That's incredible. I love it. So just putting that into perspective for you, fan fiction, in case you were wondering, not new, happened way before Shakespeare's time. And I will die on that hill. That's so awesome. I had no idea. Really? No. Well, you learned something new today then. I did. I did, which is unusual because I pretty much know everything. 
Okay, so I did search for Romeo and Juliet fanfiction. So a lot of fanfiction on AO3 was Mercutio and Tybalt's fanfiction. Everyone found a lot of gay context there, I guess. Uh, yeah. So because I could not bring myself to read any of this fanfiction because I have such a hard time with Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> I decided to change it up a little bit, and I'm going to give you the best of AO3 tags. Oh, boy. Are you guys ready? Yeah. I'm going to keep it as pure and as possible, but here we go. AO3, as a refresher, or for anyone new to the podcast, is a popular and well-curated fanfiction website. Yes, and their tags are amazing. Yeah. You can do both curated tags and your own tags. Are you guys ready for best of tags? Yes. All right, mm-hmm. so here we go. Shakespeare would be Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. All right, so this one, I feel like I have to tell you, is a texting fic, which are one of my favorites. It's a whole just fan fiction's done via text. Oh, cool. Very cool. So this one, the texts are Careless Whisper, mentioned. Shirtless Mercutio, mentioned. Shirtless Mercutio <laughs> playing Careless Whisper on a table while drunk, mentioned. Dumbass Mercutio. <laughs> Pardon my ignorance, what is Careless Whisper? It is a George Michael song. You know what would be a perhaps not tactful song to include in the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack is I, I just died in your arms tonight. <laughs> it must have been something you said. All right, so back on track. Another one is Mercutio is an overdramatic asshole. Sure, sure. Sure. This one is a Hamlet, uh, Romeo and Juliet crossover. And this one is Hamlet got that fine ass. Romeo has a personality, <laughs> kinda. This one just tells you exactly what it's going to be. Modern setting, alternate universe, high school, Bencuccio. That's Benvolio and Mercutio. They're nerds and I love them. Mercutio has big dick energy. I would die for them. And they all died. Oh my god, I'm still crying over Shakespeare centuries later. Nice. Alright, and this final one is less of a tag and more of... Guys, you gotta listen to this one. This is the, this is the link I sent you guys because we are all going to read this one. Okay. This is a reincarnation fic. So the characters reincarnated. Okay. This is the this is the little summary. Janet, who is Juliet, lays her head onto the table. After a few moments, she says, "Ty, Tybalt, I have something. I have to tell you something." Hmm. Tybalt says, "At the Kappa party, I um I met Romeo. Oh, Tyson, which is Tybalt, stops eating. Oh, he sets his fork down. Uh, okay. So what's his name this time?" Janet closes her eye. Um, her name is Rachel. <gasps> yes! <laughs> they brought the gay into this, didn't they? Yeah! So we're all going to read that one, and we're going to give a review on Twitter. How's that sound? Yeah, we are. That sounds amazing. I'm actually super stoked to read that one. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right. I found a kind of summary for Nomeo and Juliet. I, I'll have to finish it myself because it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, but the lo- the ones that get the full story are like two pages oh long. So, first of all, I just want to say I found this on a rating website that says content, telling you if this is okay for your kids to watch. It has a strong moral worldview oh with a redemptive element of forgiveness, stressing, love thy neighbor. And then it goes on, no sex, <laughs> but there is romance. <laughs> Rear nudity of minor gnome character wearing one-piece wrestling t-shirt, <laughs> but no alcohol. You know what? <laughs> that's, all, that's all you need to know, folks. That's all you need to know. Oh, guys, it does say some 
gnomes still lawn mowers. <laughs> mm, so much for that strong moral compass. I mean, how are your kids going to turn out? So for violence, it got a light rating. Anyway, so let me just read this summary real quick. In Stratford-upon-Avon, the birthplace of William Shakespeare, Miss Capulet and Mr. Montague feud over whose garden is better. Garden gnomes that decorate each other's flower beds continue the rivalry when humans aren't looking. The gnomes from the red gardens don't get along with those of the blue gardens. Then Gnomeo, James McAvoy, <laughs> a blue, and Juliet, Emily Blunt, a red, fall in love, leaving many obstacles to overcome. And then the biggest differences are... That nobody dies in the end. Tybalt gets glued back together. You think Romeo's dead, but it's just... It's a misunderstanding, like, in the play, but he gets back in time so that they can be together and everybody lives. Oh, you forgot another major difference, that this one is a waste of everyone's okay. time. Oh, and You can life. get out. It's better. It's, it's better. Be- okay. Well, you know what? So, we are about to go into talking about Romeo and Juliet, and we did this months ago. So, we are all excited to hear what we have to say. <laughs> That's so, so past us, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> and just remember in the discussion that's upcoming, don't forget that your spinsters love each other very much, <laughs> even when <laughs> they might be fighting. We're obviously still together. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that if there are two warring houses, I am on the just side. And if any of my children try to venture over to your Nomeo loving house. Nomeo <laughs> and Juliet is life. I'm going to give that spoiler right now. <sighs> So, Nomeo and Juliet is an animated... I'm not even going to call it a children's movie because this movie is for adults. It is. It's so... No. It's so intelligent, Sarah. <laughs> it is, no, it is so great. Okay, it is so the opposite of intelligent and literally one of my notes is, quote, who is this movie even for? It's for everyone. It is for adults. Honestly, no, it's on, not... Gnomes are such a huge deal. It's listed as an adult movie. Sarah, you told me that your friend loved gnomes and that's why you saw this. This is very relevant. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Should we do our experiences with this movie? I feel like I saw commercials for this movie. I was like, "Oh, that looks pretty clever." You know, I think I'll check that out. And then I went into it with not very high expectations. Um, but then I saw it, and it was so good. Like, it's just it's it's such a clever little movie, and I I really appreciated the Sarah. Stop making that face. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I forgot I had turned my camera back on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I cannot. It, just, it has like very hilarious. I like it's very subtly like has really funny Shakespeare moments that you would have to be familiar with Shakespeare beyond Romeo and Juliet to understand. And that's why it's good. I love the little references. Chandra is completely right. Like anyone who studied <laughs> Shakespeare and watches this is going to have a dang good time. The part where Juliet, the gnome Juliet is running through the gate and she slams the door by the dog and she just goes out and then the dog's owner yells damn Scott yes. okay that's pretty like, great oh, there's moments like that everywhere and anybody who's like yeah. read Shakespeare and studied it will love it it's also got an amazing cast it's just so insanely clever I first saw it I was actually in high school I think yeah yeah because I was going to the cheap movies with my friends and that's like the $2 movie. We called it the Sticky Foot Theater. And we're like, I guess we're going to go see this. And I actually thought it was going to be really <laughs> dumb. I'm like, well, this looks mm-hmm. stupid. And we walked in late the first time I saw it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a movie about gnomes falling in love. I can't. And then I was like, this movie is life. Like, it's so yeah. good. The, the fact that it's just so quirky, but it's so, it just works together. Like, it has gnomes. Mm-hmm. 
It has an all-star cast. It has Elton John music and amazing Shakespeare references. And I'm just like, how did this yeah. all work? And it does. I also love the song Hello, Hello with Lady Gaga and Elton John doing a duet. Now, I will mm-hmm. say, all those themes somehow came together so perfectly in this movie. It was pure joy that I actually watched the sequel, which was Sherlock Gnomes. And, okay, <laughs> I should say, I attempted to watch the sequel that was Sherlock Gnomes, which does not work at all. And it was painful. Hmm. I tried twice. I watched the first 10 minutes and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Going back to Romeo and Juliet, hey, though, is it post-modern post genius? Okay. All right, Sarah. Okay. Well, like I will say, the moments that I did find some joy in this movie were the great Shakespeare references that were pretty funny and witty. But we'll go into more. Listen. Okay. No. Let me start. Like you said, with my experience. So whenever this movie came out, I forget when, I was living with my friend, also named Sarah, who was weirdly obsessed with garden gnomes. Our entire apartment was decorated with garden gnomes. It was a whole thing. So she saw this. So are you saying you were triggered by this movie? Is that what the problem is? No, no, no. no. I'm just saying that when she (laughs) saw a trailer for this movie, she's like, we obviously have to go see this. And I was like, well, it's called Gnomeo and Juliet. And I enjoy wordplay as much as the next person. And I like Shakespeare. And gnomes are fine. So I went to go see it. And I sat through it in the theater. And I was like, oh, my God. This movie's terrible at least i'll never have to watch it again and then (laughs) oh oh the fates how they mocked me because they were like just you wait bitch (laughs) give it like 10 years and you'll be doing this podcast and your friends whom you love and respect and agree with on so many things for pop culture will play some dark evil prank on you where they say you know what this is a good movie and you're like okay well i'll watch it again and then you're like why all i have to say is you're welcome and i'm sorry that you have such yeah. a closed mind that you couldn't go in and enjoy I, this <laughs> almost flawless movie i went into it with an open mind and an open heart and it betrayed me sure Jan. that's how i felt about christmas carol so this movie, <gasps> i'll say it it's better than christmas carol i like christmas carol what the f- I used to have a Nomeo, and then he got smashed. My sister bought me Nomeo. Really? Yeah. This movie's genius. I'll say it again. I agree. It, it's... Okay. Let's get... Let's just... We should probably just start getting into it. Using... <laughs> Your voice is so high right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying. This is so funny. All right. I will... So the movie comes in with listening to Elton John. And what we have is two houses. They're like English style duplex is how I'm going to describe it. It's pretty Tudor style, I think. And one side is red and one side is blue. And the owners are an old lady and an old man on each side. And one's Capulet and one's Montague. Mm-hmm. And also the address, one of them is 2B and one of them is 2B crossed out as a not to be. And I'm like, great visual pun, but what a nightmare for the post office. Like, as somebody who lives in a rural area where mail delivery is an issue, I'm like, but what do they actually write if they're trying to mail somebody something there? Genius. Oh, so anyway, so then the owners leave like every day the owners leave and they they fight the Capulet and the Montague people fight. And then once they leave, that's when the gnomes come to life and the gnomes. They also feud between the two, but I just, I want to take a second to talk about all the different gnomes and the perhaps off-collar decorations, like the um, toilet with the wisteria coming out of it. Um, I believe there's a statue that's peeing at one point. What a gift. So there's a lot of different (sighs) gnomes on each side. Wait, I have a question about these gnomes. Okay. 
because there's some fun visual gags and stuff with all the gnomes doing different things. But for some reason, some of the gnomes have free range and mobility and can do whatever they want, like Gnomeo and the other main characters. And some of them seem to be locked in a perpetual whatever. They're, like, there's one that's fishing and he's like, I caught a fish. And then he gets <laughs> bored and he's like, I caught a fish. And I'm like, but can't you get up and walk around like every other one? Also, this poor fish is in perpetual torment. Yeah, this is a layered <laughs> and complex movie that talks about like... No, it's not. It is just, they never, here's what bugs me about this movie. They never established the rules of the universe and it drives me crazy. <laughs> the fishing guy what if he's glued to that spot yeah but then why is he and why aren't the other people glued to their accessories maybe he kept falling into the pond so they had to glue him there so he didn't move it'd be more dangerous if you fell into a pond glued to something or they could have him walk away from the pond i'm just sad that you're not seeing the complexity and the intricate layers to I'm... this movie no it's just poorly thought through and poorly executed i'm sorry continue with your synopsis <laughs> This is the biggest fight we've ever had. I'm calm. I just know I'm right. <laughs> I just feel like you guys are pranking me, and I don't know. I'm, 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 so back to you, Sarah. I'm like, surely you guys don't actually love this movie, right? You conspired no, about do. this, didn't you? I watched Romeo and Juliet and Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann one, at, in the same night. And I, I'm going to be completely honest. I enjoyed Romeo and Juliet a lot more. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing movie. She's wrong. It's fine, Sarah. Every, sometimes you just have to be wrong about things. <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> Please continue. Julia is one of my favorites because she's stuck on this pedestal and her dad is Lord Redbrick. He keeps her up on this pedestal and he won't let her come down because he's afraid of being broken. Which in Gnome World, when you're smashed to bits, that's when you're dead. Which is, uh, you know, a valid concern because they are a ceramic. Except for not because Tybalt, but... Oh, there's... They kind of show, like, the fight between the two houses. They do mm-hmm. lawnmower races. And during the lawnmower race, it's Nomeo, who is a blue, and Tybalt, who is a red, racing down the alleyway. And the mower ends up getting smashed on the road. The blue mower does. Nomeo's mower. And they basically vandalize each other's yards, right? Yeah, yeah. They vandalize each other's yards. So the first night after that happens, Juliet, from a distance, sees this flower that she thinks is going to look great in her yard. Mm-hmm. All the gnomes are obsessed with gardening and lawnmowers. That's kind of their thing. So she sees this flower and she goes off to get it but she needs to be stealthy because she's red and white gnome moving around in the nighttime. So the Nanette, which is the nanny character from Romeo and Juliet, who I love. She may be my favorite character. She is so the frog. great. Yes, Nanette the frog. I would say- One of my notes is, I enjoy this frog. <laughs> <laughs> I need to actually open my notes here. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Because there was a line that she had that I really loved. Oh, <laughs> was it when she's when... like, oh, you... oh, go ahead. <laughs> it's the like when she like says something in Japanese and it's just like it translated and it's like, you look hot. <laughs> yes, yes, that was amazing. <laughs> and then she like starts saying something in English and it translates it into Japanese. <laughs> the subtitle. That's so good. I'm like, this movie's so it's funny. so funny. It reminds me of Adventure Time where it's like someone who was super smart. And like very intellectual, did get high and made this for me. I love. Well, it. here's here's the thing though, because there are moments like that which are funny, and then probably my favorite moment. Nomeo has a little friend that's a little ceramic mushroom that's adorable, Fantasia looking little thing that like hops around. He like bumps into the frog and she goes, "Oh, you look like a fun guy." And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "You look like a fun guy." It has moments like that that are like wordplay, but then it's mo- there's also moments where like Nomeo and Juliet meet, and he goes. 
hey, who's your nomi? And I'm like, what does that even mean? Is who's your daddy a thing in gnome culture? But like, nomi is a substitute for it? I think what it's doing is it's like modernizing Romeo being clunky because he's so clunky. Like, Yeah, but you can't just like put the word gnome into something and consider it witty writing. You like community and Dean and Chang do that all the time. Yeah. You know what? That's a fair point, but it makes more sense in that context. I just... <laughs> okay, this also translates to, like, visual moments where there's actually like, funny visual gags. For example, when they're, like, getting ready for their date and Nomia is brushing his teeth and then just uses the toothbrush to brush his entire body, which is hilarious because yes. his teeth and the rest of his body are made out of ceramic. Really funny, right? But then it immediately goes into Juliet getting ready and they use duct tape to, like, wax her legs and a mustache <laughs> that doesn't exist. Okay, funny if you're using duct tape to whack but she doesn't have hair anywhere and where would she have learned this behavior from this just doesn't make sense you're just going for a visual gag that makes no sense unless they've watched humans and be like they wax their legs so i guess we will do the same thing but like (laughs) there's no it just doesn't make any sense we got we got distracted so julia ends up going out in stealth mode so she's wearing a black sock which means her identity as a red is hidden so then she she goes off there but then some things happen and Nomia also ends up in the same yard as Juliet and they end up flirting and kind of falling in love at first sight as you do if you're Romeo and Juliet sure they don't find out until they somehow end up in the they get wet and they reveal it each other as <laughs> Sarah oh my goodness <laughs> what good gracious listen sometimes you're already in too deep literally because you fall into a pond sure <laughs> Okay, so they, they find each other's identities and they kind of, Juliet kind of freaks out and runs away. Nomeo's kind of like, hey, you're still cute. <laughs> <laughs> I did like how they did that with, because they were both basically in disguise and you couldn't see their colors. So it is a cute way of a kid's movie of being like, look, when they didn't know that they shouldn't like each other, they didn't not like each other mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like prejudice <laughs> is dumb, which is a very cute way of doing that. I will give the movie points for that one moment. <laughs> You've you've agreed so far to like at least three or four moments that you liked from the movie, so Okay, well then you see then you know that I had an open heart going into this. <laughs> and I was trying so hard to like it. I think you can talk about the Terraforminator now because that's the next morning. That was the funniest line in the movie. It was. I say that like every time guys, if I see a lawnmower, I'm like and then it has like the a million things at the end where it's like do not use ever basically like the fine print and then at the very, very not end, recommended for private when use Benny pushes purchase it goes because okay so the whole thing is he's debating between the kitten cutter well the owner is looking at the kitten cutter for her new lawnmower and it's it's mm-hmm. you know a little kitten of a lawnmower yeah, the, the gnomes use for racing so they need they need so something, need something that's Big. Unnecessarily like, powerful. Whenever you, right. whenever you look at the kitten cutter, it goes meow. And then when, he pushes, <laughs> when the gnome chooses to push order on the terraforminator so he can race it, like when he hacks this woman's computer, Hulk Hogan goes meow. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's so good i like when benny's on the computer benny and the justice playing in the background and he's dancing on the mouse yeah clicking buttons yes so cute. i think we can all agree that a commercial for a lawnmower is literally the most entertaining part of this movie yeah because it, like it's an entertaining movie and that's just the most entertaining thing i've seen in my life god and it's basically picture a like ad for a monster truck rally that's like yeah. sunday 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 
I will say I do have a complaint about this movie, and it is that two favorite Elton John songs are not given enough credit. And which songs are those? Your song and Benny and the Jets. Um, which is insane because they sure didn't hold any bars about just jamming songs in where they didn't make any sense anyway. Yeah, so they could have just jammed those in too. <laughs> like they had them in there, but they did Hello, Hello more, and I would have really appreciated if that would have oh. been your song. Because like I, I really could have seen Nomeo crooning your song to uh, Juliet, and that would have that would have made the movie for me yeah maybe they didn't want to step on the toes of moulin rouge perhaps can i give you my fun fact about that please do did you know that the song in moulin rouge come what may was actually originally written for romeo and juliet by boz Lerman in that boz Lerman movie i did not know that <gasps> what yeah so because it was written for romeo and juliet but it didn't make it but they reused it for moulin rouge it wasn't uh-huh. up for an oscar for best song because it was originally oh i love that song me too i mean that song's like one of my favorites but can i say that moulin rouge is a stunning example of working music jukebox musical style into a plot in a way that makes sense and isn't just jarring like i don't know hearing the song saturday playing over gnomes racing lawnmowers for some reason saturday saturday i used to play that in pet band guys takes me back takes you back I don't know. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Nomeo goes back to Juliet's pedestal and convinces her to meet. And there's this really cute scene where they're like, we'll meet tomorrow. Or she goes, like, I can meet at noon. And he goes, that's not soon enough. And she goes, I can meet at 1145. Yes! <laughs> it's just a cute little so like cute. couple thing they do. Also, I just love James McAvoy's voice. I actually really love Emily Blunt's voice. So. Both of them. Yeah, I agree. Like, just hearing them both together, I'm like, such chemistry. Just mm-hmm. their voices. So they go to the old garden that they met at to go hang out in secret and go on their date. And while they are on their date, they run into a plastic flamingo that's been stuck in a shed for 20 years. And his name is Featherstone. Poor buddy. Ugh. So you guys want to talk about Featherstone? Because he's a, he's a character. I, could, I just love him. Did you know that he is named after the creator of the original pink flamingo lawn ornament? Nice. I did not. When we do kind of a backstory to Featherstone's life, it kind of does like newspaper clippings and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of Shakespeare references there. And there's a ticket to um, something called As You Like It, which is another Shakespeare play. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Anyways, Featherstone's backstory is that he used to have a paired flamingo that was a girl because she had eyelashes. This is like the How to Train Your Dragon, where it's like, this is a girl dragon because yes. it's pink and white, and it has dragon shapely, shaped like it might have boobs. Interesting. Dragon boobs. Something I never <laughs> thought I'd think of or say out loud. It's like in Space Jam when Babs has boobs, and it's like, but she is a rabbit, so... Anywho. Anyways, so Featherstone's story is that he had a, he had a... A significant other. I don't know if they were married or not. So <laughs> They were living in sin. <laughs> <laughs> they were standing in sin. They're sharing a lawn together. <laughs> and, but their owners fight and break up. And when they move out, the wife takes the girl flamingo with her. And the guy ends up throwing Featherstone into the shed. And he gets left there by himself so without wrong. a leg. I can't. For 20 years. I just I think he's really cute and he has he's kind of annoying but he's also like he's been by himself for 20 years so he's a lot oh and then later on when Shroomy the little dog type mushroom is trying to tell everyone that Nomeo is still alive Shroomy finally gets Featherstone's attention and he goes Timmy fell down the well <laughs> and then he's like no wait Nomeo fell down the well where is this well <laughs> he just keeps misunderstanding Shroomy and it's so 
so good. So anyways, everything that happens in Shakespeare is Romeo and Juliet. Tybalt ends up cutting off the hat of Benny, who is the Benny Mercutio or Benvolio Mercutio hybrid yes. of Nomeo. Mm-hmm. So he takes off his hat and in revenge, Nomeo fights Tybalt. But Tybalt ends up going over a wall and smashing to bits. They think that Nomeo gets run over by a car on the street and everyone's upset. But Nomeo survives, but he gets carried off by a dog and ends up in a park where he runs into a statue of William Shakespeare, who was voiced by Patrick Stewart. Fantastic. And it's so good because then Shakespeare goes and breaks the fourth wall and talks about, oh, I wrote a play like that. And then Nomeo's like, oh, how old did it end? He's like, not great. Or something to that effect. Nomeo's like, well, well, that's not going to happen now. And then later on, while this is happening, Benny is ordering the Terraferminator. <laughs> Terraferminator! Meow. Meow. <laughs> I will never not say it. Meow. <laughs> so Shroomy and Featherstone get to Romeo, and they tell him that Juliet's in danger because Benny has ordered the Terraferminator. And is getting revenge on Nomeo, who he thinks is dead. So they make it back in time for Benny's Terraferminator to just kind of start destroying the red side of the garden. But he loses control of it quickly. And it starts destroying the blue side. And then it starts... Juliet's father has glued Juliet to her pedestal so that she doesn't run away so that she can't get broken. Ironically, though, the Terraferminator goes straight towards her pedestal, and that is where Nomeo and Juliet have their last stands, where the Terraferminator comes straight for them, and they all think that Nomeo and Juliet died, but they do not, and then they end the feud. What a great show. And then the last ending, it looks, it's like, it plays exactly like the Grease ending with the whole, like, they're dancing and then as the, the line spreads apart, Nomeo and Juliet are riding in on a motorcycle, or not on a motorcycle, on a, on a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. And it looks exactly like the scene from Grease at the end. Yes, it does. Where Danny and Sandy fly off into the sunset. So strange. Yeah. I never got that. Me neither. But... <laughs> We're like, wait, is this Chitty Chitty Bang Bang all of a sudden? What's happening? Right. So, <clears throat> I would... Uh, a couple notes to my other note of who is this movie for? Because ostensibly it's a children's movie. And I know you guys are saying it's a movie for adults because it's quote unquote witty. It's for everyone. <laughs> of course, it's a long running thing. A lot of Disney movies and Pixar movies. There are jokes that are like double layered meaning that'll be funny to kids, but maybe are a double entendre that's funny to adults or something that might go over a kid's head, but they can still enjoy. However, I feel like that's only a successful thing if it's also something that kids will get. There's a moment where these two gnomes that share like a platform and are identical and stuck together walking around (laughs) and one of them's like, I wish I knew how to quit you. And then they like sigh at each other. And then one of them goes, let's just go fishing. And I was like, I'm sorry, is this a Brokeback Mountain (laughs) reference? Because it for sure is. And like, not only is it like, I wish I knew how to quit you, but they didn't, they didn't, they said, I wish I could quit you. So I was like, oh, that's funny. That sounds like Brokeback Mountain, but I must just, you know, like I always do, gaying everything up. But then he says, let's go fishing. And in Brokeback Mountain, the two men that are in love with each other pretend to go on fishing trips so they can go out and like have romantic flings in the mountains together so that their wives don't know. And I'm like, what the hell? children's movie not that it's inappropriate but just they won't understand that probably right and then fine but then there's another moment where like the frog is falling in love with the mushroom i want to say no she's falling in love with uh paris Paris. the gnome 
smart sorry, gnome. sorry, sorry. She's falling in love with another gnome and fantasizing about him. And there's a <laughs> shot where she's laying down, like in rose petals, and they cover her chest and her. <laughs> Listen, it's a vis- it's a visual. It's a visual call to American Beauty, which I hope to God <laughs> children have not seen. <laughs> no small child has seen American Beauty <laughs> because they would probably be very confused and disturbed by it. Kids, that's going to fly right over their heads. And then we're just going to be like, oh, haha, American Beauty. It's still a weirdly seductive pose for a frog to be in, is all I'm saying, guys. <laughs> I just think it takes more skill to be like, this is a joke that both children and adults will enjoy on different levels than just being like, we're going to put this random moment in here and kids will be like, uh, and the parents might be like, oh, haha, I know that this is a reference to. I'm just not impressed. Listen, to quote Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. <laughs> don't impress me much. Anyway, that's the last shitty thing I have to say about this movie. <laughs> Listen, I truly enjoyed this movie what so much. What a joy. What a pure joy. I'm glad that you enjoy it. That's good. And you know what? I like it when my friends are happy, so... Again, I just think it's funny and genius and a good, wholesome time. To say something positive, I did love the adorable little lawn bunnies. Oh, little adorable cement bunnies. Gnomes. They're they had, so like, cute. Each house had some. Like, there was little gnomes on one side, and then there was little bunnies oh, on the other. Oh, they're cute, too, yeah. They're I so know. cute. I liked them. So cute. Okay, guys, I guess all that's left is to do our recommendations. (laughs) Yes. So, you and your secret lover. Your secret lover. Steamy. (laughs) Steamy. Okay, you're trying to run away and you need the help of a priest who has way better planning skills and communication skills than the priest in Romeo and Juliet. And he's like, I'll definitely help you. The only thing I ask in return is for you to recommend either the play Romeo and Juliet or the movie Nomeo and Juliet. We don't have much time, so you can't explain. Just tell me real quick, which one should I watch? Does this priest seem like a typical priest or fun? I'm like, what's his vibe? Um, You know, his vibe is very like, oh, hey, kids, backwards baseball cap, leaning on a chair. You know who <laughs> didn't like to follow the rules? A little guy named Strums with acoustic guitar that came out of nowhere. Jesus. Well, in that okay. case, Nomeo. Yeah, definitely no Mio and Juliet. It's no Mio yeah. and Juliet. What, what does that have to do with anything? He just seems like a guy who would appreciate some Elton John. I mean, if he's a priest like in most movies, I would say Romeo and Juliet because I feel like he couldn't handle Romeo and Juliet. But this priest seems like he can handle it. He also seems like a douche, but <laughs> seems like he can handle it. All right, you heard it here first. Only dumb douches enjoy Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> You know what? You walked into that one, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> she did. He leans on stuff. Sarah did that on purpose. She made him a leaner. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that nobody trusts leaners. Well, I recommend Romeo and Juliet, obviously. Wait, is this the part, though, that you guys tell me you've been messing with me this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> no. Romeo and Juliet for life. Okay. I am going to go ahead and say Terra Feminator! Oh my god. If you could edit out maybe 20 of the 50 times I say Terra Feminator for listeners at home, maybe if you do that, they could go onto iTunes and rate our podcast so we can get the word out there. And maybe if they're feeling generous, they could give us five stars or a star for every five times I say Terra Feminator. Oh. And oh my. Nice. That would just be really cool. Yeah, and uh, if you want to contact us in any way, shape, or form, you can find us on Twitter at Clashy Spinsters. We're also on Instagram at Clashy Spinsters. 
You can also send us an email at clashypodcast.gmail.com. Yeah, think of all the energy it takes to hold a pointless feud. And instead of, you know, doing that, use that energy to spread the word of this uh, dumb little (laughs) podcast that you apparently enjoy listening to for some reason. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Stay clashy. Bye. my cat fall by the way he was walking behind me and totally fell off the couch i apologize for any feedback you're getting i'm watching the music video for careless whisper wait i want to show you guys his hair oh oh my goodness